Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Hello, lovely Miss Becky. How are you today? I am very well. It's so exciting to be here chatting with you. I'm so honored to have you. I have to say, um, you're one of my favorite people. And, you know, Instagram is obviously not your job by any means, but you're one of my favorite people to follow. And um, your podcast is an absolute treasure. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. That's so lovely to hear. It's fun to just get a sneak peek into the behind the scenes. And I've even seen some of your videos like in the polytunnel and it just looks like this stunning life you have in Ireland that I'm super excited to hear about. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely have um, an interesting setup here. It's quite unusual. So yeah, I'm excited to share, share with you and your listeners. Well, to get us started, I guess, how would you introduce yourself? Mm, it's quite a difficult one. I'm sure you have the same problem where there's lots of different titles you could give yourself. So at the end of the day, I am a farmer. So myself and my husband, we run a farm together called Brockgammon Farm here in County Antrim up by the coast. So that's sort of my everyday work. So it revolves around farming and gardening, running events, doing all sorts of things here on the farm. Uh, we've got a little farm shop and everything. I've also written a book. It came out this year. It just seems surreal to me. Uh, it's called The Garden Apothecary. So I guess I'm an author as well. And I'm also a podcaster. And I do a bit of work for BBC Radio 2 and things like that. So I've really got my fingers in so many pies. I'm not really sure what I am. But at the heart of it, I am a farmer and a gardener. I love that. I have your book. I've already started making things. It's so beautiful. And I really feel like this is... I've read actually a lot of herbalism books and gardening books, because I just can't get enough information on either subject. I just love it, even if it's redundant, but it really feels like I'm on your property with you when you read the book, like you've actually made these tinctures and salves. And it's really cool to feel very in it with you in the book, which I really love. Oh, I'm so glad you're enjoying it. It was really strange, like having to, the whole thing of writing a book from scratch and coming up with ideas was really strange it was so different for me but I really enjoyed it actually and it was um it was so lovely just to sit down and and write about plants that I loved so much and recipes that I loved making and it's just so great when I hear feedback on it because it it makes it feel so real sometimes I'm just stuck here up on the farm I forget that this book is actually all over the place now so that's that's very exciting to hear yes oh my gosh that's so fun Well, I want to ask a little bit about your background, kind of starting at the beginning. Did you, were you born and raised in Ireland? And, and also, did you grow up farming and gardening in a home that practiced, you know, having a home apothecary or was that different as you were growing up? So uh, sort of a bit of both really. So I grew up in County Wicklow, which is down in the South of Ireland. Um, And my parents had 
I don't know, maybe like 10 acres or so. So like a sort of nice garden and they always grew their own vegetables and that kind of thing. But actually, it wasn't something that I was massively interested in. I was definitely a pony crazy child when I was growing up. So there's lots of hacking around the wild Irish countryside and lots and lots of freedom as I was growing up. So I was always very connected to nature. Um, I always had a very deep relationship with it. And I shared that actually a lot in my book, some of the stories I had with those herbs growing up, because my childhood was very much immersed in the wildlife and the plants. And um, my sister and I had quite an unusual upbringing in that it really was just, we would have these long summer holidays where we really would be stuck in the middle of nowhere, um, just making up our own entertainment. And I really learned a lot about plants during that time because I would just sort of spend ages looking at them and looking at remedies and recipes. Uh, my parents didn't really have any background in remedies or herbalism, although my mum would have had some knowledge, kind of, I, I suppose it's those sort of European folk remedies that would have been passed down from generation to generation. So she would have always made us like a sage gargle if we had a sore throat. Um, we had lots of herbs growing for culinary use. And then there was a book in our um, library, which was all about making remedies and uh it was by Juliette de Barky Levy, I pronounced that completely wrong, who's an incredibly famous herbalist, but I didn't know that at the time. And I remember finding this really humble looking beige book. It was so boring on the outside. And I pulled it down and I opened it up and literally I was just like, oh, wow, I love this. And it was all about the different plants and all the remedies you can make from it. And there was a really instant connection with it like it really was one of those things which felt so familiar and I just immediately tried to make some of the recipes and would go off foraging so it was something that was part of my life but I kind of found it myself almost by complete coincidence um, and then my dad is um, an environmental scientist where he was quite a well-known one uh, doing lots of lectures and teaching and writing and then my mother is an artist so I had quite a yeah quite a free fun different childhood in a way with those those two sort of characters as my parents so I had quite yeah I definitely had an interesting background but it wasn't farming and it wasn't on the level that I do now but it was a bit more dreamy and um creative I suppose and that was probably why I got into blogging and all the things I do because I had that as my background that's so amazing it's funny I I live in southern California in America so I have to really make an effort to like get into wild places and to take my children out and to get lost, to not be connected, to be surrounded by plants. But um, I wasn't raised that way. And I was telling someone, and it sounds like similar to you, although it sounds like you're helping your children have this experience as well. I feel like I had one of my generation had one of the last great childhoods where we really would get lost in the woods or get lost outside, just having to figure it out and come up with it. And now I feel like we have to be very intentional about that time as parents gifting that to our kids, um, at least where yeah. I am. And, and again, oh, it's I mean, the same here. Yeah, it's, at, it? I would agree a hundred percent. I'm very privileged. You know, I live on a farm. We are surrounded by countryside, but I do think back on that a lot. Like as I mentioned before, I was really into ponies and me and my sister would go off at quite a young age, like just riding around the place for miles and miles. And we had so much freedom. And I just can't even imagine that being 
a thing now like the roads aren't so safe and mm-hmm. it, it just the whole world feels so different and I think it is a real struggle because we are so dominated by social media and the internet that children are born into that which is actually quite scary because yeah. you know if, if you're a similar age to me you know we sort of grew up and we saw the internet coming into the world which yes. is hilarious when you think about it, it makes I you know. feel really old I know it's I feel weird. like I can tell my kids that like I live yeah, before the like internet yeah, it's a really big deal, actually, because the internet is everything now. So I think having that is a real blessing, actually, because we've learned, you know, our childhood, we had to use our imaginations. And there was just more innocence or something, I think. And definitely, oh, yeah. you have to sort of fight for it now. And the world doesn't feel such a safe place. I don't know why, but I definitely do feel that myself, too. Yeah, I feel the same way. And like you were saying, I mean, I, I know my my parents were similar, like, you could go bareback horseback riding, probably I would say maybe around the age of eight and just yeah. go off and, or I would be kind of lost on our property and no one really knew where I was. And now I don't know that I would, and and perhaps that's like a, a flaw in my parenting and like stems from my own maybe anxieties or whatever as a parent feeling like that's not safe anymore. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. So I think it must be something to do with the world that we're in now, I think. Yeah. I also think we have too much information just in general. So all the time (laughs) and access to it. But my family, um, we stopped at the beginning of 2020, we completely stopped consuming the news in our homes. And Mm -hmm. my husband and I each, um, you know, you, you actually surprisingly enough, get all of the information that you need without watching the news or having news apps or anything like that. But I think that's helped us a lot. I'm exactly the same. Uh, quite a while ago, actually, I stopped listening. And my sister's the same, stopped listening to news, uh, watching the news, because it, frankly, it's quite depressing. And there's a lot of information in there that you don't need to know. And it's never counterbalanced with positivity, mm-hmm. I find. It's just a lot of negativity. And that's a lot for a human brain to take on board every single day. And we've, I do think we have to be quite intentional about how we start our days and finish our days. And yeah, being conscious of what we consume, obviously, without being ignorant. But I like you said, the information comes to you anyway, but it sort of protects your headspace a little bit, I think. Yes, for sure. Are you someone that has a really solid morning routine? Yes, I am pretty routined, especially because I've got two little kids. Like I have to be yes. quite structured, but I really like that. So <laughs> I definitely thrive with a routine. I do too. Okay. What's your morning routine? What do you do? Well, I mean, there's nothing very exciting in it. It's just sort of getting up getting my son off to school and then I always do yoga and sometimes my little toddler joins in on joins in on it and then we go out and always do the polytunnels in the morning water everything go for a little walk usually gather up some bits and bobs from nature come back and then I will sit down and do some writing and he'll usually like play with play-doh or something so that's my morning routine not very glamorous but um I just do the same thing every day <laughs> I think that well I think at least I know I originally started thinking about the nature of routines and rhythms in regard to creating consistency for my kids, knowing that they would thrive in that. But like you, I realized, oh no, I actually am way better with the routine and the structure as as much as they are. It benefits everybody. Um, It really does. It really does. I I get a lot of questions as well. Like, oh, how did you write your book with two little kids? And it was during lockdown as well. So, you know, I really, I'd had two kids in the house every day. And really the answer to that was routine because I would sort of chip away at it regularly every single day, just even for an hour. And it's amazing what you can achieve with that consistency. Um, And whether that's 
doing something that's you know like writing or if it's something that's just creative or just getting outside or just doing a tiny bit of gardening each day it really does add up yes i totally agree with you i actually feel like if you're doing especially in the garden a little bit of gardening every day it makes the entire endeavor so much easier and then you're you know people will ask about pest prevention or this or that and it's like well if you're out there every day kind of putting eyes on things nothing takes as dramatic as a turn as it would if you were trying to really compartmentalize. Oh, absolutely. So, um, okay, you had this beautiful upbringing that sounds totally idyllic. And I feel like your parents are people I would want to have at like a dinner party. They sound, just, I mean, you, you and your husband as well, but I'm like, oh my gosh, they sound like such characters. But um, before you started farming, did you have any work other than that? Or did you kind of go straight from school into the farm with your husband okay so I actually had yeah I had such a different um, direction initially so I went to uh, art college and I studied fashion design and I really visualized myself in the fashion industry oh my gosh Um, yeah I know so I've always loved clothes like it's a huge passion of mine um and I love designing and I just thought right that's what I'm going to do with myself and also my mum was an artist so I was used to that kind of world so I went to university did fashion design and actually what happened is that's kind of when things started to change for me because I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's which is quite a common autoimmune condition actually a lot of people do have it mm-hmm. um, a lot of younger women now start to get it as opposed to usually it was a sort of older person's disease And it really, like, it it just burnt me out so much. And I really struggled to get back on track for about a year. And once I did, I think I just, I had changed as a person. I kind of realized, and it did take a while. It wasn't like an overnight thing, but I did realize actually health is really important. And I got quite interested in the health world and nutrition and the herbalism started to sort of like slink back in and natural remedies and also the whole idea of slow living became like a real passion of mine. And it, I started to very gradually change my life towards being more slow and intentional. And it, it started, and then I actually met my husband, my now husband, Charlie, just after I'd graduated from university and I was working for a country clothing brand. So it wasn't too far away from what, <laughs> sort of what I ended up doing. So I had lots of lovely leather Wellingtons and things like that and oh, beautiful yes. tweed jackets. So it was very smart. It was really, really nice stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I met him and I, I started to come up to the farm and commute back and forth. And it really opened my eyes actually to my city life within it. I really had disconnected from nature massively. And as someone who had grown up with that deep relationship really with nature, I had lost so much in that time, you know, from that sort of teenage to mid twenties, I had lost a lot and I noticed things like the seasons change through window displays. You know, I was so disconnected. (laughs) And once I started going back to the farm and being so immersed in the countryside, it was like, you know, having such a big lesson. It was like all this to relearn, garden, learning seasonal, see how the seasons affected us as farmers, foraging from the hedgerows. It was just so much to learn. It was so exciting. And I really felt alive again. And it made me realize like, yeah, I'd gone through quite a few years of just having all my priorities wrong for me anyway, and my character. It just was a time where looking back, I was sort of, I had lots of fun, but I was, 
I think just the word disconnected sums it up. You know, I really was just out of tune with myself, with nature. And I really do value that and need that in my life. So yeah, moving up to the farm was just this amazing, challenging learning curve for me where I got my roots back into the earth and found myself again, really, and relearned all these things that I had sort of picked up as a child, just communicating with nature, working with nature. And then I learned how to garden right from scratch and just self-taught myself. And it was just like love at first sight. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Seeing all the little seedlings come up and nurturing things from scratch. I know maybe the word's a bit cheesy, but it was so wholesome and so good and simple. And I love the fact that it didn't cost a fortune to do these things. And it was just back to basics. And that to me just immediately felt absolutely right. I love that. I think there's something to be said too for the self-taught gardener or because I had a similar experience where I sort of like returned to my roots by way of gardening. No one taught me to garden, but it really reconnected me with the upbringing that I had, but also there's this resonance. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that's like a byproduct of gardening is, is that connection with nature and that sort of, like you said, wholesome re-coming aliveness and really, I think, gaining confidence by way of experiencing the magic of seeing a seed turn into a seedling, turn into, you know, a head of Romanesco. Like there's so much amazingness. I don't have to tell you about that. Um, That's amazing that you taught yourself all of that and sort of reconnected. I love that. Yeah. Like I'm very much self-taught with everything I've done. But I think I'm definitely of the school of thought that gardening, herbalism, this is for everybody. You know, this shouldn't, you shouldn't have to pay to become a gardener. (laughs) Like everyone is a gardener. Herbalism really has its origins in community and it's for the people it's it's based in folk folk work and remedies and obviously it's different becoming a clinical herbalist but I think it is important that people can claim these things back for themselves Mm -hmm. and I think like you said once you've done that that nature connection and that calmness and actual joy in the most ridiculously simple things does come to you and I think for me anyway, once I suddenly got this incredible joy out of things like just the sunset or, you know, seeing those little changes when spring comes and feeling complete 100% joy, more joy than anything else in my life had given me apart from my children, my husband, obviously. <laughs> but um, it, it was an amazing feeling. It's like, wow, like this is it. This is, to me anyway, this, this is what life is all about. And it's just that pure utter connection and joy that nature can give us as human beings it's where we belong and it is completely where we should be and we don't yeah we we shouldn't have to pay for that or feel like we have to go through a degree to become a gardener I really do think that is for absolutely everybody I could not agree more I love so many Irish Scottish English gardening resources because gardening feels like so much a bigger part of the culture there than it does here in the States. And so I'm I'm on my own little mission to like get it to be something more approachable and for younger generations and for people to really feel like it's accessible and like a part of the everyday. It seems very much like a someday thing in our culture. Like, you know, when I retire, I'll start gardening, but it's like, no, the time is now. Um, Absolutely. But speaking of your background in herbalism and your, I know you spent sort of years studying and and becoming self-taught. Did you do any sort of professional training or anything, or was it all just sort of tons of research and experimenting? 
I did do a few courses. So um, I did Hubble Academy. I did Chestnut School of Herbs. I've done, oh gosh, I've done, I've done so many. I think I've done pretty much every online course you can take on herbalism <laughs> because I was so isolated up where I am. You know, I'm, I'm oh, right yeah. at the tip of the north coast of Ireland. So it's not easy for me to get to even Belfast or Dublin or anything. Um, and all those courses were based in capitals. So for me, I really had to be quite resourceful. And then, you know, I, I had children quite quickly. And I, then at that point, you know, I was completely tied down. So yeah. I had to be resourceful in how I learned. So I did do, I did invest quite a lot in, in doing, you know, the proper online training. And I did all my hours that I could do and, and, and did all the, um, what they call like projects and things like that. And then I also read, like, again, probably every herbal book I could get my hands on. I think I probably read most of them at this point. I just love, I have such a thirst for it. And I just really enjoy reading books on subjects that, like gardening and herbs. I just can't, a bit like what you said at the start of the podcast, I just can't get enough of it. I absolutely love it. Yes. Um, I love hearing other people's points of views. And um, I've, I've also really enjoyed like a beginner's mindset. So I mm. always can learn from somebody. So yeah, I, I actually think being self-taught has got a real beauty to it, actually. I think there's an innocence and it's your own journey. You don't have someone dictating to you how something should look or feel. And yeah, after my university experience, I did sort of think, you know, unless you're training to become like a doctor or something, the, the degree that I did was just, you know, so creative. And really, is there a wrong or right way? I'm not so sure. So I, mm. I have to admit, because I'm obviously, if you want to be a clinical herbalist and, and work and that kind of thing obviously the training is so vital but I think for someone like me that self-taught route was really fun actually because I could do it at my own pace and explore the areas that really interested me and um, I also leveled the community aspect of it so yeah that's kind of uh, how, how I went about it. I love that I just think that we've become so disconnected as well from our own instincts and working with herbs and plants has really helped me reconnect and really think what is the root of what's going on or where is this, you know, perceived sickness or illness or funkiness coming from and how can I treat it in a way that's really whole body minded or that's really, you know, especially it's like, I mean, I live five minutes from a target. If my kids have a sniffle, I can get something very Western for them, but I'm over here making like sage honey and having them do all the things because I really love that gent more gentle approach, but also feel like for me in my life, it's felt like an indication of other things. Either we're going at too fast of a pace or we need to be more conscious of, I don't know. I mean, germs happen and that's so natural, but also it is so natural. And I think there's a really safe, natural approach to all of that. Mm, absolutely. And I, I love what you said, like it's really about listening to our bodies and yeah, sure. Sometimes you're going to need medication. You know, I, I still take medicine for my thyroid even though you know I've gone into remission now which is amazing but I'm so grateful for the doctors and everything they can give us but being able to tune into our bodies and listen and you know yes sometimes it is just oh, I've caught a cold off my child or my child's got a bug from school or sometimes it is like you said you know actually we're, we're coming into autumn maybe we're slightly burnt out from summer we need to slow down and nourish ourselves and you know go within a little bit as it gets colder and yeah, listen to that kind of natural instinct within us that we all have. And again, like once you're really connected to the seasons and nature, you can kind of learn so much. You just look at what nature's doing and sort of try and reflect some of that back into our own lives. Mm. And it really does help hugely in our self-care, I think. Okay, real quick. I want to tell you about the Kitchen Garden Society. 
It's my monthly gardening club for all levels of gardener and in all U.S. hardiness zones. We're helping gardeners everywhere save time, maximize your yield, and build your true instincts. Each month in the Kitchen Garden Society, you get a to-do list of what to be harvesting, sowing, and transplanting, as well as what you should tend and task to. You get seasonal recipes and deep dive timely lessons to accompany the skills you're going to need in the garden this time of year. We hear from experts each month and get daily inspiration for seasonal living, as well as the opportunity to share and ask questions in our members-only Facebook group. I hope you'll visit us at thekitchengardensociety.com and check it out. So speaking of slowing down in the seasons and self-care, you mentioned, and I know you're really passionate about slow living. And I'm curious if there were any resources that you turn to, to sort of help you re either unlearn, unlearn some things and relearn others. Um, but also if you had tips for people that are like, oh my gosh, I'm really into this idea of slow living. Like, where do I start? Oh, so when I sort of got into slow living, there wasn't a lot out there about it. Um, the only thing I suppose that I kind of used as a guide point was the slow food movement so our farm is part of the slow food movement so we're signed up to slow food Ireland slow food Northern Ireland Um, and that's all about you know creating food that has provenance connection to the land you know buying local and that kind of thing and I really because that that's so much what we were doing we're going down to really cool places like Ballymaloo um, cooking there that I, I sort of started with the food aspect and seasonal eating. Um, and that kind of taught me the whole sort of idea of sort of slowing down and working with the seasons and, and not having to be so global in our approach. But then in a sort of lifestyle way, I guess, it's just, you know, it's sometimes it's the smallest things. It's it's trying, to me anyway, slow living is really trying to find the pleasure and joy in the most simplest things and taking the time to savor it so for example it could be something quite simple like making a cup of tea you know just taking the time to really slow down and enjoy the whole process from start to finish whether it's like boiling the kettle on the stove and hearing the water bubble away and then choosing your tea and smelling it before you put it in the cup and choosing a cup that you really love and that you've perhaps picked from a local potter or something um, so it hasn't got too many air miles. And then bring up your tea and and just spending a bit of time holding the mug and feeling the heat of it and enjoying the aromas. And like that's to me, that's kind of like how slow living is a good way of starting in a way. It's just these everyday things that we do, just to sort of take a moment to be in the present. You know, we're so connected to our phones and the internet. And I'm also just as bad as everyone else for sure you know I've always got my phone on me but I do try and put it away sometimes and just take a moment to connect into the now and value our time here on on earth um it's really important I think not to be robbed by social media in a way you know it's dictating a lot to us like what we should buy where look like sound like and oh I could go on for days about how like social media and my issues with it it's just so awful and the the horrible filters people put on their faces and things it's just we've lost so much like it's taken so much joy away from us and we don't even know it I think but yes yeah I think if I had a tip people it would be put your phones down at even in the evening have an evening evening ritual where after like seven or something you disconnect and you just do something like do a puzzle or a board game with your partner or your friend or 
you know, light a candle and read a book or brew a cup of tea or take a bath, but just get the phone away and really go back to those old things that we would have done as kids that would have just been fun and don't be frightened of being bored. You know, that's not, not the worst thing in the world. A lot of creativity comes from that. Um, and yeah, I think that's really probably what, what I would suggest is just turn off the phone for a bit and disconnect and, and, and just look around you and, and find something else to really nurture yourself and, and nourish your imagination and, and your soul. I love that. I was just speaking with my best friend earlier and it sounds so silly, but we were talking about how we are like pitching, propositioning <laughs> our husbands for one night a week where as soon as the kids go to bed, it's almost like an at-home date night where it's like no phones, no TV, no nothing. It's just us doing something. And I know for some, it sounds ludicrous that that's not already what we're doing every night, but my, you know, my husband's an entrepreneur and he, his, you know, he's always got stuff going on. And so sometimes decompressing doesn't look quite the way I would hope that it does. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm also married to, you know, an entrepreneur really, you know, he's yeah. set up the business and he's always on his computer too. And it's so hard sometimes I'm exactly the same. I'm like, right, turn off your phone. <laughs> We've got to, got to take this thing away and just, you know, just, yeah do a board game together or something. I we I got really into board games last year and I was like, oh, this is great. You know, it's just a bit of fun and, you know, it's just so nice to do something that's not work-based or yes. or just, yeah, being fed what social media. And at the end of the day, social all social media channels, unless they're privately owned by an individual like yourself, myself, they all have an, a, an agenda of selling something, say something like Instagram, whatever. So we do, I do think we have to be careful. It's like sort of going back to the idea of not, always listening to the news because it's sort of protecting your headspace and I think also with things like social media that we definitely need to be protecting our headspaces and sort of carving out time to just be in the present because yeah. it's something that we are losing the ability to do totally. we're so used to watching fast videos um everything's very quick and and scrolling is just like when you think how quick scrolling is and we're seeing so many images we're losing the ability to just like you know, really go slower pace. So, um, yeah, no, it's a crazy world we live in. <laughs> I agree. Well, and speaking of board games to backtrack for just a second, as soon as my, my, so my kids are three and five and then I'm pregnant with our third, how old are your kids? So I've got a three-year-old and I've got a five-year-old. Oh, great. Okay. Well, I'm sure you've noticed then I got into board games as well, probably in the past year because I can play them now with my oldest and then the youngest kind of, she kind of, tries to make it happen. But, you know, we rediscovered like board games and card games and more advanced puzzles. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the good stuff. It's so fun yeah, when the little ones can so do it fun. too. It is so fun. And it's so lovely to like create those, um, I suppose like family traditions with your children as well. It's such a, a great thing to do as opposed to just always like, oh, let's just watch a movie, which is very tempting sometimes, you know, when they are, oh, yeah. you know, you just need to have a bit of quiet time. I mean, that's when the Disney channel's great. Like, I'm not going to deny it. I do use it sometimes. But um, yeah, creating those lovely family game nights or something is just yes. it's so good. It's so good. And kids remember that kind of stuff. And it's it's what makes a childhood for sure. Yes. I remember um, I was on a trip. There's a national park here in California called Yosemite. And my parents live really close. My husband and I go often with the kids. And we were there at this nice hotel once. And I remember like just, just having like a cup of coffee. Like we weren't staying there. But 
we were in this sort of communal area where people, there's like fireplaces and it's just this really vibey, cool place. It's called the Awani Hotel. But I remember specifically, like I will never forget, I saw this family, it was a husband and wife. And I think they had three or four kids who were grown of grown age. So everyone was probably older teens, young twenties, and they were all just laughing, playing um, dominoes. And I remember telling my husband, like, that is my goal for our family is that we go on a trip and sit around a table and just laugh with each other, playing dominoes or cards. Like it's so simple, but like that just hit me so hard. And, and those things don't just happen overnight. I mean, that's sort of when you reverse engineer those moments, I think the foundation that you build as a mother and as a family really is important. Yeah. Oh, I would agree. Like you do have to be intentional and things like, you know, dinner time, you know, I do make sure we all sit down together, light a candle, try and like, you know, create that sort of lovely, warm, cozy family feeling because, you know, it, it, it's not actually the most com- commonest thing now. You know, a lot of people don't have that. So trying to make those sort of lovely things like family traditions together is just like such a big part of what I try and do with my family. I've always been very intentional in my parenting and try to sort of employ sort of slow parenting ideas and, and get the kids out the d- outdoors as much as possible and have little adventures. And, you know, yeah, just try and sort of beat the the system a little bit you know I'm, I'm very yes. sort of pro homeschooling as well even though actually my oldest son does go to school but I've always said you know if I felt like the school was just not suiting them I would be the first one to be like right you're going to be homeschooled and we're just going to explore the world and things like that so I threaten um, homeschool I I also make it also go to school which is lovely and there's so many benefits there but the same thing I'm always like oh I'm on the brink of homeschooling. Like <laughs> yeah. at any moment we're pulling the home, you know, but I'll, I mean, the past two years have really shown so much craziness. Um, but yes. yeah. one, I wanted to ask a question because you do show these glimpses about the farm and I wanted to hear more about your role on the farm and what that looks like. Because with, like you said, you wear so many hats with just being a mother, obviously running your home writing incredible books, podcasting, all of it. What does it look like for you in terms of the farm? And I know you do a lot of cooking and using what you grow at the farm, stuff like that. Okay. So, um, so my husband and I run Rockgammon Farm. Um, It's a sustainable farm, uh, quite small. So we've got 50 acres. We've actually started off with just goats so male goats. Uh, because we were looking for something that was going to be, I guess, promoting like low waste and sort of highlighting some of the issues within the food system. And male goats actually came out because um, they were usually put down at birth. So in the dairies, obviously, the girls are really useful. They can produce milk. But the male billy kids were completely just like considered a waste product. So at birth, they would be put down. So obviously, that's crazy because if you eat goat's cheese really we should be eating the goat's meat so um it sort of highlighted an issue for us and we took them on and started to rear them and part of our sort of sales pitch is also to kind of promote that so people are more conscious of the impact of their choices on their plate and what the byproducts of that could be and the sort of responsibility of eating the other 
part of it too. And being, I mean, that's, um, wait, that's crazy though. Cause I had no idea until this very moment. Like I was this yes. many days old when I found that out. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, most people just don't think, and I didn't think either until we, we found out. So, um, what we started rearing the goats and then we did the same thing with cows as well. The male calves in the dairies would either get exported to countries that possibly do, um, you know, like caged veal, which is really cruel, or they would put them down because they don't beef up into like beef animals. Um, they're too scrawny. So we also took the bull calves and we did that outdoor reared on grass. They have like a, you know, decent life. Um, and again, we were sort of highlighting that story. And then we've sort of gone on since then. That was our initial sort of like sales pitch and that we sort of built our business on. And now we just do a bit of everything. So we do pigs and we do chick- rainbow chicken eggs and we started with our vegetables. So we're on about year, I think we're on year three of our, our vegetables. And they're really part of this regenerative um, idea of farming. So we use the veg fields as a way of rotating through our fields adding uh, nutrients back in and then we graze through with the pigs and they fertilize the ground naturally so it's kind of really important thing to have as part of our kind of rotation and keeping the land healthy and the soil healthy um so yeah we do all sorts of vegetables now and we have a farm shop and a cafe and we teach loads of classes we do foraging walks and events and nature kids clubs and i mean pretty much everything, anything and everything. I mean, this is a lot of work though. Like this is a big full-time crazy operation. Yeah, it's, I can truly say I've never got a spare moment to myself. It's just full on. It's so good. Like my husband and I created this because we're so passionate about it. Like we, we are so passionate about creating a sustainable future um, and also creating nature-friendly farming that other farmers can look at and replicate. And we're very involved in lots of organizations that really highlight how farming can be a benefit um, to the land and communities. And yes, it, it really is full time. It's, it's a huge business now, actually. It's starting to really grow and get legs. But we started it, I, I, I like to say, probably about nine years ago. Um, and it's just, you know, a, a startup business is hard enough, but a startup farm is almost a crazy person's idea <laughs> but I mean, um we've, we've made it work and it's um no it's a beautiful business so it's uh, incredible yeah. I want to be you when I grow up I want to <laughs> or be one of your children in my next life um that is so incredible yeah I think um I know like the slow food movement is international we even have chapters here where I am but um I think one of one of the beautiful ways that the internet wins is in showcasing people and families like yourselves and farms like you have and just different approaches to helping people truly understand the work that goes into our food system and and our clothing system and our transportation system yeah. and just how it's all interconnected but also the realities of it and I don't know there's it's that's just really beautiful that you guys have I didn't know that about I mean and, and we chatted for briefly before the podcast and you were saying you had been herding sheep and goats this morning and um I didn't know that about your journey. So that's really cool. Do you guys sell like direct to consumer or do people come to the farm? Like, how does that work? So we're, we're very much direct to customer. And yes, that is the one thing I'm really 
pleased for the internet for is that it allows us to get in front of our customers and it cuts out the middlemen and it cuts out the supermarkets, which we can never supply anyway because they just would never pay us enough <laughs> enough yeah. money. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of part of the problem with the sort of fast food culture is, you know, those big supermarkets. So, um, yeah, we sell direct to customer and we're, we're really about a customer experience. So we have like um, I mentioned, we have a farm shop and cafe, which is open three days a week. And the whole farm is also open for our customers. So they can come up, you know, get a really nice cup of coffee or some homemade cake and have their lunch here. And they can also walk around the whole farm and we're super transparent. They can see how the animals are reared or go out to the fields, go see the vegetables, go to the polytunnels. Um, and then, you know, here and there we do some classes. So we had a foraging walk last week in a kids club and we did a supper club on Saturday. So we cook for, you know, up to 24 people and sort of showcase all the beautiful things that are in season and things that we've foraged and grown. And um, yeah, so it's a real, definitely a real customer experience up here. So they're really getting, um, yeah, they're getting to to sort of really be part of a farm almost. And a lot of our yeah. customers have been with us since right at the start when we were <laughs> rearing goats in a caravan. Oh we gosh. now have a proper farm with sheds, but initially we started out with nothing. Um, so they love that because they've seen it grow. and. Um, yeah, it's been really amazing experience. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I always love when you share like the little glimpses of the supper clubs and everything. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is she, what is she making? What is she using? How is she using it? Um, because there's just so many, I don't know. I, I think you have a very beautiful and creative way of bringing nature and the garden into meals. Um, so I always enjoy that when you share that. Yeah, so it's, it, the supper clubs are great because it is a chance to sort of play. And also, actually, the cafe, I've had so much fun doing seasonal cakes and things for it. So doing a bit of baking and oh, it's, it's just another way of being really creative and just and being surrounded by people who appreciate it as well. It's just so much fun. I, lo I love sharing things. So for me, like cooking for people and stuff is just the best fun ever. Yes. Well, um, people often have asked me because once upon a time I was like begging and debating with my husband about leaving California and getting acreage and going somewhere else. And um, it's been a, sort of a journey of this sort of bloom where you are planted and finding contentment where we are for me. Like that's just sort of been my little path. And one of the things that's really helped me is finding that community. So being like a, a customer at a farm like yours here has really, I think, on the flip side, been so beneficial to be a part of someone's farm journey and like getting to experience that through them. So I think what you offer to the customer is something so enriching. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of our friends here as well would have similar businesses and, and they do a lot of things where that they, you know, they create community agriculture where people can come and, 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 you know, farm the vegetables with them. And I love all that, you know, I think that's so important. If people can get outside and see how hard work things are and they'll, you know, they'll spend a bit more on their food and value it and appreciate the journey and and get involved in growing it, which is absolutely brilliant. So I think the future of farming is definitely, you know, the customers just having that direct line with a farmer and being able to communicate and ask questions and together both the farmer and the customer can grow together. Um, I think that's really the future of it. Oh, I love that. I think that's brilliant. Um, okay, well, I know I want to let you go soon, but I want to just ask one more question, which is, um, what is your favorite thing to grow personally? And what's something that you will never grow again, because you don't like growing it? 
Oh, oh, I should have thought about this before. I'll have to back my brain now for a minute. What's my favorite thing to grow? Oh, I love so many different things. Oh, let me think. I know I'm going to say something and then a couple of minutes later, I'll regret it because I'll, I'll remember something else. Oh, it's so difficult because there's so many different things. Uh, okay, just right now, I'm going to say cauliflower oh, uh... which is really random <laughs> it's a random one but I just think there it's like magic yeah. like seeing it grow into this amazing solid head of cauliflower it's just incredible like and also it's a flower really but it's you know we will eat it like a vegetable um I love that I think it's just amazing I do too okay wait but do you have any special techniques because I've been I've I've grown cauliflower twice and the first time um ground squirrels completely ravaged my garden maybe like one week before they were ready to harvest and I was in a deep depression for months afterwards but do you um have a special approach like do you clip up the leaves around your cauliflower head or you do just let them go on natural I'm, I'm super low maintenance so the way that I do the veg, I obviously do field scale vegetables. So it's quite a lot of cauliflowers, but you know, I don't have any, um, there's no, obviously it's all like organic. So there's no pesticides or anything. I do a little bit of weeding just to keep the weeds down when they are small, but once the cauliflowers get going, I don't even weed because they naturally suppress the weeds. Mm. Um, I do net everything and I swear by netting because if yes. you don't net your brassicas, you will get so many caterpillars and revolting bugs in those I was in those just talking about this. I'm with you, oh, girlfriend. I do worse. the same thing. It's like my must-have is to net these darn brassicas because otherwise you're oh, it's SOL. Yeah, uh, it's just too much. Like <laughs> I think even like when you're a full-on gardener, I mean, there is nobody likes to pick a cabbage and then just be like, oh, hello, slug, 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 slug. Yeah. It's just so disgusting. It puts you off eating it. So a net does solve a lot of the problems and it does give you beautifully clean vegetables. Um, so I would highly recommend a net. And I do think a lot depends on your soil and your climate as well. I have a feeling cauliflower is probably quite like a lot of moisture. Um, and that's why they tend to do quite well with me. Um, but then other other things just, you know, there's some things that I just really do struggle to grow. Um I think probably I would say leeks are a bit of my nemesis. You know, mm. they, they don't, they, for some reason, I'm not a great. I've had a couple of, a, one year where they were quite good, but in general, I do struggle with leeks a bit. Um, but I will, I always carry on growing them. I don't think there's anything that I'm like, I would never grow that again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I sort of, I'm hard to defeat. I just like, right, I'm going to give that another go. And I quite like that sort of, yeah trial and error you know I kind of like thinking oh that didn't work but why didn't it work and is there a way around that um and I've got you know I'm quite coastal and cold up here so I'm right on the north coast of Ireland so you know I'm in a lot of thick jumpers right now Aaron jumpers is it's cold already wow (laughs) really really chilly and really wet um and I've got the wind like battering the window it's yeah it's very coastal so I'm actually only a stone throws away from Ballantoy Harbour where they did all the Game of Thrones filming and the oh, Giants wow. Causeway so we really do. like amazing rugged yeah beautiful rugged coastline it's incredible but it does the downside is I get lots and lots of wind and winters can be quite harsh so you know some things are just a bit of a struggle to grow like you know something like a lovely fig tree is just not going to really happen up here mm. um 
but you know a lot of vegetables do absolutely love it like all the, all the kales and the curly red kale that's another one I love to grow it's so beautiful and um, they all sort of flourish in this in this climate um, <sighs> but a lot of it is trial and error I, I'm I'm not um huge at growing flowers and things like that but I, that's mm-hmm. something I love to get into more but it's just again the climate's a bit of a challenge so I have to sort of figure out what's going to yeah what's going to like being battered by wind and oh <laughs> what's my not. goodness that's great your climate is so different from ours and of course you know I'm I covet what you guys have because I don't get a lot of seasons and we don't get dramatic winters which sometimes you just want like a high drama storm at least I do I'm like mm. can I just have a thunder oh. and lightning storm where it's like cold and I can you know we get yeah, those maybe once a year um, oh really oh my gosh that's crazy it I would say the good Although the summers aren't great here, it is so cozy once autumn hits. Like it is just like hot chocolate and, you know, all the scarves and cozy, lots of woolly things. And I love autumn and winter up here because it is just, yeah, it's super cozy. I've got the log fire lit today. I mean, it's just, yeah, full on, full on cozy. Well, I'm booking my visit soon. So expect company (laughs) with me and my rowdy crew. We are actually <laughs> Irish. There's lots of, my, my mother-in-law is 100% Irish. So we're very drawn to Ireland and Scotland and I want to take the kids out there for, for a summer, but, um, well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat. You are just such a joy and such a lovely spirit to get to just get to get to know and to get to be a part of, to follow. So share with us before you go where everyone can find you, all the different ways people can get more, more Becky. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much because it's a real pleasure to talk to you. And I feel like I could talk to you for hours. So um, I just didn't feel long enough, but it was really fun to chat. So where to find me? Well, I've got a website, which is beckyocole.com and you can find links to my podcast which is called nature and nourish on that um and details of my book and everything is all on that over on instagram i'm at becky o'cole as well and then i also have um a sort of like a, a slow living nature connection membership which is called the rooted community this is quite new i just started it this autumn but that's hosted through patreon um and what i do on that is each see each month i have a hour-long masterclass where i teach and like something like elderberry workshop is the last one I've done I've got a rose hip one coming up um so lots of lovely herbal remedies and nature connection ideas foraging walks and that kind of thing and there's also a seasonal book club on that as well so if you want to check that out that's all on my website as well or you can check it out through Instagram um and then yeah my book is called The Garden Apothecary and it can be found in most places I think um most bookshops online and hopefully in some stores as well and for the farm we're called brockgammon farm and that's brockgammon.com is our website um so if anyone's coming to visit ireland northern ireland we're open three days a week um hopefully one day we'll have some accommodation we are planning to do like a beautiful eco accommodation with yes. a sort of star watching panel and things like that so that's in the future we hope to be a bit like river cottage and go down that route so oh, fingers yes. crossed in a couple of years we'll have all that so um yeah think that's everything. I love it. Well, I am thinking I need to join the your Patreon community, but um, I'll put all of this in the show notes so everyone can access that too. And just, I hope the rest of your night goes well and you enjoy the rest of this cozy autumn. I will. And you too. I hope you, you get some storms. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.